Welcome back to another episode of Poison for Profit. I'm Nick. And I'm Zach. And we got another pretty special episode today. Zach's going to be kicking off his series on the lobbying groups and corporations uh, that are behind them. Uh, But also just wanted to quick mention, we are aware of the five acre fire that is burning in Kissimmee, Florida at the nursery pot plant warehouse. Uh, So we're going to be talking about that next episode on Tuesday. So look forward to that. But we're just going to get right into it, into Zach's series. So I'm going to pass it over to Zach. Thank you, Nick. Like Nick said, this series is focusing on corporate front groups for industry basically in america any industry and we'll talk about how they kind of relate to each other here in in the beginning but note i'll be using terms like biotech and agrichem Um, those are going to be somewhat interchangeable uh, as they relate to the companies we're talking about so corporate front groups are basically a, a segment of industrial pr public relations, right? So we're talking about big ag here. Big ag uh, companies are companies like Bayer Monsanto, uh, BASF, Syngenta, ChemChina. So very big companies that are involved in both uh, seed production and, um, and sales and also things like pesticides, chemicals that go along with those seeds and just a little more history about front groups as it relates to science and the science people see around uh, certain industries so a, a lot of what we'll talk about in this is sort of a playbook that the industry uses but it's been used in other industries before so it's the playbook that big tobacco used before you know it was widely known that tobacco causes cancer. So in in 1994 is basically when when we saw tobacco tobacco executives go in front of Congress and and lie about uh, nicotine being addictive and and that cigarettes do cause cancer. Um leading up to that it was it was this pseudoscientific process of misleading the public um and basically muddying the waters of of the science around the harms of tobacco. Uh, in 2019, there was a, for in the big oil context, there was a former consultant who worked with Exxon that told Congress that there were scientists working for Exxon in the 80s that were predicting how burning fossil fuels would increase carbon emissions, and that would lead to rising temperatures, otherwise known as global warming. Um, and the American Petroleum Institute identified global warming as a risk since at least 1968. This again is, they've been able to basically operate the way they have been since that time because of these tactics that are being taken now by uh, agriculture companies and, and pesticide manufacturers. So a little bit of background about that. 
Nick, I don't know if you got anything to add at this point yet. I'm just really interested to hear how this all ties together. Um, I, I feel like basically what you're kind of saying is uh, these companies are the new tobacco companies saying how, well, it's not our product or you can't prove it's our product. Uh, and they also are at the leading, like the bleeding edge of the research as well. And they know full on that their product are causing these things, but they do the research so that way they can bury it uh, and, you know, stay ahead of the technology and stay ahead of what right. research is coming out. So that way they can also discredit it. Uh, so I look forward to hearing more about how, uh, how they are actually doing this. <laughs> so, yes, we will definitely get into all that. Um, a little bit about the, the industry the, and control of, you know, basically everything that happens in the agrichem and seed industry. There's four companies that control 62% of global agrochemical market and 51% of commercial seeds. And two of those companies are Bayer Monsanto and BASF. They control over 27% in both of those markets. That doesn't seem problematic at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and <laughs> I mean, those companies are a little problematic for their own reasons as well. Right. Um, Thank God they control over quarter of the market just on their own. Yeah. And a little bit of history about those two uh, going back to, well, they're, they're German companies. You know that, Nick, right? Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> so so, so uh, let's just go over a brief uh, history of, these German companies when it comes to maybe the 1930s, 1940s, uh, when they were a part of a conglomerate called IG Farben. That doesn't sound IG too harmless. <laughs> <laughs> IG Farben, uh, which is also a company known for basically inventing uh, heroin and selling heroin, um, was a a corporate donor to the Nazi party in Germany. Oh, so <laughs> I would have never guessed. No. <laughs> and also a major government contractor. Oh my gosh. Uh, there's a quote um, that they're the most notorious German industrial concern during the third Reich. Uh, they relied heavily on concentration camp slave labor and a subsidiary of the company also developed and sold a uh, chemical known as Zyklon B to the Nazi SS. You familiar with Zyklon B? I, I, what it was used for? I'm not sure, but I don't think I want to know. <laughs> well, it was originally developed as a pesticide, um, but it was used in the Holocaust. In oh, jeez. To... Yeah, use on humans, um, and you know the rest. Yeah. So uh, these are the kind of companies. I mean, obviously that's the history of these companies, but so they have a solid foundation, right? That 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 these companies are being protected by the tactics that we're going to be talking about, and the corporate front groups, right? That we're being that that we're going to talk about. They're protecting these kinds of companies. Uh, it's just, 
<laughs> I feel like the more we look into a lot of these long-standing companies, almost all of them, if they came from Germany in the last oh, hundred years, are related to the Nazis. History. It's yeah. just, I don't know. At that point, you just need to make a new company because it's never going to be seen in a good light. And it, to me, I feel like a lot of them clearly are showing that they don't want to still do good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's... I, that's part of the reason Bayer got rid of the Monsanto name, right? It's because Monsanto mm-hmm. has just a terrible reputation, um, even though it's still alive and well within the Bayer sphere. Right. Uh, it's just, it's a whitewashing, right? Yep, exactly. So I'm going to be focusing on one specific case study here. Uh, it comes from the U.S. Right to Know, which is a, really great organization for exposing these pesticides and and chemical um, bad actors. The title of the case study is called Merchants of Poison. I will link it in the show notes, but it does focus on glyphosate specifically, which is a um, creation of Monsanto. And it's uh, active ingredient in Roundup and other, you know, Ranger Pro, other pesticides. I just want to go over a little bit why why it's focusing on glyphosate. So a little bit of background about glyphosate. And, and Nick, you know, we could do a, an entire series on glyphosate alone. But glyphosate formulations are the most widely used pesticides in uh, American agriculture. And that's almost an understatement to say, right? Because there's such a wide margin between glyphosate and any other pesticide use. Um, and it's a lot. So it's registered in 130 countries. It's used on over 100 different types of crops. It's formulated in 750 different agrochemical products. And it is incredibly pervasive in our environment. Uh, 86% of rain samples can detect glyphosate. As far as the the growing usage of it, uh, usage has increased three over 3,000% 3, from 1990, which is uh, 24 years after it was first introduced. So from 1990 to 2014, uh, use had grown 3,000%. And that's widely because of the the introduction of the uh, Roundup Ready crops, correct? Exactly, yes. So in 1996, Roundup Ready soy um, was introduced to the seed market. Mm-hmm. Um, and Roundup Ready crops just mean they're tolerant to Roundup mm-hmm. as, a, as a pesticide. So Roundup will kill literally every other plant except these uh, and now 94% of soy and 92% of corn that are planted in the U.S. are Roundup Ready, uh, which equates to about 180 million acres of production, Jesus, which is bigger than the entire state of Texas. Nothing's bigger than Texas. <laughs> <laughs> and not only that, but the EPA had concerns of links to cancer in glyphosate since 1984. And we'll talk a little bit later about how those concerns um, 
basically just got dropped on a dime. Uh, it's not only linked to cancer, though. It's linked to kidney disease, low birth weights, shortened pregnancy, uh, and it can be even more dangerous when it's combined with other chemicals. Bayer, who now owns Monsanto, still maintains that glyphosate is not dangerous, um, but they have made or they have planned to make changes to formulations for residential lawn and garden uh, products. Make changes to the smallest portion. Is that, is that I hear that correctly? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, there's, I mean, and now there's been landmark cases of glyphosate being the main cause or roundup or being the, the, the driving cause of cancer in people. Um, I just think it's funny that they're targeting the homeowners as opposed to who's spraying the most, which is like the commercial farmers. Yeah, well, that's where the money is, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Federal government didn't even begin testing for glyphosate in food until 2016. It hasn't been tested in human bodies until 2022, which is, you know, just a couple months ago we were in 2022. Yeah, seriously. And those results are pretty scary, aren't they? Haven't we looked at some of those? Yeah, before? the the kind of widespread nature of it being in almost everybody in the United States. Yeah, and obviously that's not to um, not to absolve the EPA of this or anything, but there is definitely this perceived harmlessness of glyphosate uh, based on marketing based on everything that these corporate front groups put out in articles you know you you wouldn't think it would be you know there's videos of people saying in interviews that they can drink an entire gallon and it won't hurt them right (laughs) that's just an insane claim because like I don't know. My head goes to the gallon milk challenge. I can't even drink a gallon of milk without having issues. Yeah. This will give you like non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, just, just to finish up on, on why there's a big focus on glyphosate, it's really connected to ensuring the prevalence of GMOs because we have these Roundup Ready crops. Um. And it, it creates this really perverse dependence on biotech products and these companies that leads to this this capitalist control over global food supply with companies having these patents um, and being able to enforce them on even uh, cross-pollinated crops now. Um, and, you know, that's often uh, an expense of small farmers that are exploited in other countries. Uh, that they can't share seeds now because they might be hold that you know patented gene right. Uh, so it's really glyphosate is a key piece in this control over global agriculture um, for these GMO companies. Anyways, let's get to these corporate front groups. Okay, sounds good. There's a specific system that they use uh, basically the same system big tobacco used same system big oil used and it's got five parts to it to spread 
disinformation on their products and the damage that their products do across the entire industry. So the first part of this system is to corrupt the science. How they do that is they create misleading data to shape scientific and regulatory record. Next thing they do is they co-opt academia. They partner with and pay uh, universities and professors to promote and to defend biotech products. Often this isn't you know totally apparent to the public. And it does, like I said, often include just flat out payments. Third part is mobilizing third party allies uh, to really make an echo chamber of discourse so not only are the front groups part of this, but uh, trade groups, the universities that they pay, astroturfing campaigns, um, all for these PR purposes to make you know products look safe and these companies look benevolent, I would say, in pretty much every way. Because a lot of what these companies put out just paints the entire biotech industry as uh, feeding the world or the only option to provide food to everybody on the planet, right? Uh, number four, track and attack scientists, journalists, and influencers um, with quote-unquote pro-science groups uh, used to target even cancer researchers, uh, journalists, anybody who covers glyphosate's links to cancer. And then five, which kind of flows into all of this, is dominating online spaces. So if you go to Google and you type in, or you want to try to learn about glyphosate, chances are the, the top results you'll get will be from some of these PR firms defending Roundup and glyphosate to, to basically implant this message into the very front of the discourse uh, and online information that's available the, the thing you really opened my eyes to is like when like looking up articles and looking into anything like this you have to go to not to you know say a specific one but a different search engine from google because they hide so much um or they like zach said they put these links at the top of the, the screen that are showing minimal issues minimal side effects um not the true information that the people need to be reading. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we we both use DuckDuckGo, I know. So that helps quite a bit uh, just to throw one out there. But it is just absolutely insane how they have gotten their their uh, teeth into these uh, like search engines like Google. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's very hard to find accurate information pretty much anywhere these days. Um, so those alternative tools, search engines, whatever it is, are, are very useful in, in actually getting to that information. But I wanted to share before we get started, a couple examples of these front groups and how they operate on in online spaces. So Twitter, for instance, um, one of these groups is the Genetic Literacy Project. Uh, and I just wanted to share couple of headlines that they've posted and you just tell me you know if you think this is I mean I'm not even gonna say that they're trying to be or trying to appear unbiased because they're not but is it like 
But does it really seem fair to what what you would consider like fair science, right? So first one is crop biotechnology offers sizable yield and sustainability benefits when compared to non-GM farming. <laughs> first of all, biotechnology yield is one thing and it's been it's been proven that what's more important to to crop yield uh, than pesticides is pollinators and pollinators are one of the biggest victims of these pesticides right um so whatever yields those pesticides are saving now may be gone very soon um, but sustainability benefits is one that has been in the you know, recent history been really focused on and, uh, you know, with like no-till farming and carbon sequestration in soil. But that's not talking about like pesticides. That's talking about no-till farming, right? Right. So it's not that you're spraying this on here and it's taking carbon out of the air, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. just the process. That's, it's a, it's a, I guess it's a tool to help people do no-till farming. But you can't give that credit to right. Monsanto or Bayer or you know BASF or Syngenta just because they're selling these chemicals. It's the process of not tilling the soil. Um, so to to say that though that biotechnology offers these benefits when compared to non-GMO farming, it's a little misleading, right? Right, and isn't there are plenty of farmers that do no-till farming without pesticides. I feel like I've, I've seen farms that that's what they do. They still do no-till farming, but they still don't use pesticides. Yeah. So I feel like it's yeah. just completely muddying the water. Yeah. Like permaculture and things like that. Yeah. Right. Uh, the second one is with Kenya's tentative embrace of growing GM products. Uganda faces a resurgent anti-GMO movement. Here's the havoc it's causing and the activists behind it. I thought that one was especially disgusting. It's like exposing who the people are. But I mean, like, I would love to expose people behind the genetic literacy project, right? But this seems like doxing almost. Definitely. It's definitely doxing. It's definitely also... I don't know. They're putting a label on that doesn't really, I, I feel like activists, unfortunately kind of has a negative connotation these days uh, yeah. where it almost makes you seem radical or, you know, you're have a completely crazy idea. Um, and I just feel like they're trying to completely discredit anything they're saying. Yeah. And in a lot of, in a lot of media circles, activist is like exclusively a bad term, right? Right. Yeah, it it just yeah it and then like you said, it's just they're completely outing them and then also discrediting anything they are doing without I don't know I'm I'd have to read the article, but I'm sure they're not giving them any credit for the true work that they're doing. Yeah, and this I mean they're talking about Kenya and Uganda too. It's like these are African countries that are just exploited to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're seeking a way to discredit their autonomy, right? Yeah, um, to to control their own markets and their own right. agriculture. They just only want to see is that corn 
Roundup Ready corn? Is that, you know, is that a GMO? Is that a, you know, sprayed with herbicide? They want to make sure that all the crop is a GMO sprayed with herbicide. All their products are being used in every single country. Yeah. And then this this last one from Genetic Literacy Project. Facing food shortages, will ESG investing embrace sustainable gene editing crops or continue to reject biotech? This is, a, this is again, like a, a mischaracterization that only biotech can solve food shortages, right? Um, it's also just a, a blatant, you know, call on on investing right and getting esg money it sounds like bill gates wrote that article to me it does doesn't <laughs> you must buy my biotech uh and another front group that operates quite a bit online is the american council on safety and health uh otherwise known as the acsh and i'm actually already blocked by them on on <laughs> For, seriously yeah 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 um, don't we have like 10 like four followers got like 14 now i think but yeah i've only interacted with them one time actually and they blocked yep. me based on that <laughs> but but i went to their website because they can't stop me from going to their website <laughs> and um a couple of the article titles there First one is, what about the children? The ultimate activist red herring, which is just like insane to me that like being concerned about children's health is like this, this argument that they have to pick apart now. (laughs) Don't worry about the kids. Are you kidding me? They're fine. Yeah. As long as they're they're eating Roundup Ready corn. All right. They'll just get cancer and then. You know, there's there's no proving that it was our corn. Yeah, because they control all the science. Uh, and then this the second one is climate anxious college students troubled by pesticides need science lesson. Uh, as if like climate is the only thing college students can be concerned about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, it's like, oh, you concerned about the climate, right? Well, you better buy some damn pesticides and start spraying them. <laughs> yeah, because that's, I feel like every college kid, they're like, oh, I love the plant so much. I'm just going to go spray some Roundup in my backyard and that'll take care of this climate. We'll stop all the big oil from burning tons and tons of carbon into the atmosphere. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then the last one is, is, a, is a really good example of them attacking specific groups and journalists. EWG, referring to the Environmental Working Group, and Carrie Gillum keep lying about glyphosate. Carrie Gillum is is like one of the, she works at the US Right to Know, and she's one of the people at, at like the leading edge of exposing these you know, lies that are, that are being perpetrated. Um, but obviously, you know, these, <laughs> These groups are going after her specifically to discredit her, and also EWG, who who does a lot of work on on this, also. Yeah. So basically, they're taking all their money, making sure that that way you read that article, you go, "Oh, I'm curious how like what else, is she known as like being a good journalist or what?" 
they probably pay the money to get the search uh, engine to put their article up top that discredits her completely because they have the money to do that. And right. they frankly have to do that. Otherwise, it'll hurt their business. Yeah. This entire industry sector is kind of it's almost self-containing in a way because they work for these these big chemical industries um but they themselves kind of make up an entire industry on their own just of basically corporate disinformation um and it's a lot of money that goes in here too so six trade associations uh that combined have a total value of or total donations of over 1.3 billion dollars holy cow yeah one of them being the biotechnology innovation organization which um, has received 408 million dollars crop life america has received 82 million dollars the american chemistry council has received 622 million dollars and then there's the seven uh, nonprofits that have received over 76 million uh, genetic literacy project and the ACSH among them. ACSH received 8.5 million genetic literacy project received 2.9 million uh, organization called GMO answers received 22.6 million. And then there's organizations that seem kind of, um, I wouldn't say cryptic, but almost nondescript in a way. So the International Food Information Council and the Center for Food Integrity. Those sound like very organizations with a lot of integrity, right? One is literally has integrity in the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they've received 19.3 million and 14.8 million respectively. And again, so this they're, is all- they're paid. They're paid off. They're all paid off is right. what you're saying. Yeah. And again, this is this is... All those funds are going to these kind of PR tactics, right? To make these companies look good in the public. So we'll finally get to this first part specifically, corrupting the science. So science in America has turned from really, when it comes to to these kind of industries at least, it's really turned from understanding the truth of what products do uh, and the risks involved to this goal of product product defense and studies are are now designed to defend these products and the corporations that make them instead of understanding you know are there cancer risks anything like that so in 2015 the i believe it's international agency for researching cancer IARC. Yep. They classified glyphosate as a probable carcinogen uh, based on looking at basically a meta analysis of many different studies, right? That had been done before. So even before they released that characterization, Monsanto was already planning on attacking them and, and getting Congress even to push to defund them, which is it's a World Health Organization division. So after that happened, all this put goes into play where these 
Congress people who are funded by big ag and you know different trade groups go into attack mode on the IARC, um, saying that it's bad science and calling for the U.S. to stop uh, putting money towards their research. On top of that, Monsanto really maintains almost all control over how glyphosate is studied and what data is accepted. And with all that, they admit that there's never really been an epidemiological analysis to determine if there is a cancer risk with glyphosate. They did, or sorry, they did not conduct studies on any Roundup mixtures. They only did it on the active ingredient glyphosate, but that was all the way back in 1983. And if you remember, EPA had concern about glyphosate causing cancer because there was a study in which uh, rats fed glyphosate developed tumors at a statistically significant level. So in 1983, the EPA classified glyphosate as a category three carcinogen, meaning it's possible that it causes cancer. Uh, after months and months of back and forth with Monsanto, the EPA overturned that to category E, meaning it's likely to not be carcinogenic. Uh, and you know about this, Nick, right? There's yeah. <laughs> it's basically nothing changed from that. It was just conversation, quote unquote, between Monsanto and the EPA about what the data actually concluded and the suggest and how it suggests any links to cancer. So it went from EPA saying that, yeah, it might cause cancer to actually we think it doesn't now. Or even stronger than that. It's not so much of there's a there needs to be more research or anything. Cause they they did tell Monsanto to do that and Monsanto just refused and EPA let it slide. Um but with that overturning from category C to category E, there was actually two EPA scientists who refused to sign uh, that documentation because they disagreed with the process that the EPA took in overturning that. I was just going to say quick too, that that whole exchange between EPA and Monsanto was just Monsanto telling the EPA, this is how you should read the data. This is how it should be classified, which when I think of the EPA, that is not how I want them to be run. They should be looking out for us completely based on their own interpretation of the data uh, by actually what the science says, the company could maybe be involved a little bit, but maybe just for data purposes that they could hand over to compare. But yeah, at the end of the day, I want the EPA to protect the people. I don't want, I don't care about the company. And frankly, the company shouldn't even be allowed. Right. Um, morally speaking, I'll, I'll, I'll speak with some moral authority on this they, or ethical authority. <laughs> They shouldn't even be allowed to to do these studies. It should all be done by like a publicly funded laboratory. For to allow Monsanto to do these studies and to control the data and then submit that to the EPA, uh, I mean, it's just asking for for them or any other company who's allowed to do that to to misrepresent that or even falsify it. And this is another case in this you know saga of of Monsanto hiring 
Um, there was a, a doctor from Stony Brook. Um, I can't remember his name, but they hired him to basically argue against that classification, which, in, you know, in turn, I guess it worked out for them because they got it downgraded. Just what they want it to be. Yeah. Uh, so we can fast forward all the way to 1999, and Monsanto is still working with these scientists and paying these scientists for basically they're 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 paying them to boost their their clout. Um, and <laughs> anybody who doesn't agree, they'll just basically push aside, go to the next one, because in 1999, doctor they hired a doctor James Perry gave them the advice to conduct more tests to understand the cancer risk of glyphosate. And they just basically said no on his expert advice. They hired him as an expert. They don't even take his advice. So they pretty much dropped him at that point. And then they hired a another scientist who was a former Monsanto scientist already, a Dr. Keir. Uh, and they also paid a, a David Kirkland who... Uh, was an independent consultant, I guess, to write about glyphosate genotoxicity. Um, and what they basically wrote was that there does not appear to be a present genotoxic risk. And again, one of these guys worked for Monsanto before. Even while they were writing that, company scientists were involved in the drafting, um, editing, but none of that is mentioned in, in the paper that was published, which is called ghostwriting. When you write something or even contribute to something and there's no record of it anywhere and you have that conflict of interest, you own that product or whatever it is, that's ghostwriting. And they do a lot of ghostwriting at Monsanto. So there was a 2000-year paper published that was quote unquote, a comprehensive safety evaluation and risk assessment for humans. And according to internal Monsanto documents that were found during the, the recent trials and recent years, I guess, um, that we talked about a little bit earlier, company scientists, at least 12 of them, were credited for their hard work, three years of data collection, writing, review, and relationship building with the paper's authors. They're also credited <laughs> with uh, infinite edits and reviews. I mean, none of this is involved in the notes of the paper or the credits, anything like that. Um, but that's a lot of work that they did on just writing this paper, right? Like, they're not patting each other on the back for no reason. Yeah, I was going to say, so they just openly admitted to ghostwriting this paper. Yes, well, not openly. <laughs> they didn't openly oh, until it, until, it, until it the records the got released. <laughs> yeah, they never thought like, it would. Of <laughs> them just saying, "Oh, good job! You helped write this paper." Yes, that we passed off as not ours, but it's all of our good job. Good job. Oh my gosh! Exactly. How is that allowed? How is this company still allowed to say anything? Well, okay. yeah, I mean. <laughs> It's like totally against scientific ethics, right? And right. Any any researcher with any kind of integrity will tell you that. Exactly. You you don't want the people that are producing the thing to tell you if it's safe or not. You want someone else. You need a third party. 
And that's exactly uh, what they said. Yeah, they said a lot of this data that they're putting out that they created would mean a lot more if it didn't have Monsanto's name attached to it. Right. 2016, there's a meta-analysis which um, was suggested to be conducted by William Hydens of Monsanto. He's basically like the, the head of Monsanto's research or, or something like that. But Ghostwriting division. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Because he suggested the idea of conducting a ghostwritten meta-analysis. So in 2016, the Critical Reviews in Toxicology published a quote-unquote independent review is how it was presented. And the disclosures in that review stated specifically that there was no Monsanto employee or attorney that had reviewed any part of that manuscript prior to submission. Turns out to be totally false. It was completely written by them. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Um, So the journal's publisher wanted the, uh, the editor to retract at least three of those papers that were included in that analysis. But the editor, Roger McClellan, refused to do that, citing a concern for his reputation and for Monsanto's position with trials underway. So he basically, he doesn't want to have the egg on his face and say, you know what, I got played by this paper. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize that. And then he's also actively protecting Monsanto. Right. Saying, hey, they're they're about to have trials underway. I don't think we should actually retract all this. The part of trustworthy science, that's all based on peer review, right? Right. And they're basically faking peer review when they write their own analyses and then write a meta-analysis on top of that just shows the lengths that they'll go at to complete like you said earlier to it's a product defense tactic i hadn't heard that term till tonight and that is completely what this is they see how much money they are making they are going i mean this is crazy this is crazy lengths to completely write an article completely pretend that it's not them and yeah yeah i mean like it's 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 just layer after layer too. If you write a, a a meta-analysis that's built on the data you already created, it's like you have to dig, dig, dig just to get to like the source of all the bullshit, right? Right. Oh, I, I honestly can't believe this. This is insane. Yeah. So back to 2015, um, the ATSDR can't remember what that stands for agency for toxic uh we talked about this before i feel like anyways it's within the department of human uh of health and human services i got it here Um, agency for toxic substances and disease registry yes in 2015 monsanto was anticipating that the atsdr would label glyphosate as probably carcinogenic and Monsanto is actually in contact with EPA officials, including the the official that was overseeing the EPA's own cancer assessment of glyphosate. And they were basically in contact with them to prevent this ATSDR classification from happening. So Jess Rowland is the 
over or was the overseer of the EPA's cancer assessment. And in records between um, him and Monsanto officials, he's quoted saying, if I kill this, I should get a medal. That's <laughs> just like, I mean, he's almost working for Monsanto directly yeah. at this point, right? Uh, another EPA toxicologist, Marion Copley, uh, accused Roland of playing political games with the science, saying that it is essentially certain that glyphosate causes cancer. So this is another EPA toxicologist talking about, or well, I guess Roland isn't even a toxicologist. He's just a, a bureaucrat, basically. But I mean, like even within the agency, there's... there's Distrust. Distrust, yeah. So the ATSDR eventually released the report which linked glyphosate to cancer uh, just as Monsanto anticipated. However, the EPA still claims that there is no cancer link. So where it really matters, because the EPA is the one that, that regulates it. Don't get it wrong. Right. It doesn't really matter what ATSDR says when it comes to, you know, if it's available on the market, right? Exactly. I feel like most people... Unfortunately, don't do the research and don't look into things. They say, oh, it's on the market. It's registered. Like all herbicides have to have an EPA registration number. Uh, and th a lot of people take that as, okay, it might have some, you know, obviously you got to take a little precaution with it, but it's on the market. It's probably safe for me to use. Um, but just with the EPA completely disregarding that in this case, and I'm sure many others, it just shows you can't just trust that anymore. So, so going back to this kind of this crafting of a PR narrative. Uh, so using ghostwritten articles that they write themselves, Monsanto pays independent, you know, in air quotes, independent researchers to just attach their names to the favorable data sets. Uh, and then on top of that, they use journalists to craft the PR stories. So with that, the, the most comprehensive study of GMOs ever, there was an article published in Forbes magazine by uh, John Enteen using that ghostwritten paper. In his words, it proved that the debate about GMO safety is over. Does that make sense to you? I mean, this is like a, a scientific argument, right? Is there any any type of of emerging technology or anything uh, that that you would say the debate about is totally over and no <laughs> i mean especially in this case it's like there's new one like let's just pretend all the gmos right now safe new one comes to market who knows? That one could be completely different. There's it's just never over. That's exactly what a statement that was signed by 300 actual independent scientists and researchers said. <laughs> there is no consensus on GMO safety and that basically blanket safety assurances are falsely perpetuated by industry stakeholders. Belinda Martineau uh, has a quote saying that, that making general claims about safety of genetic engineering is unscientific, illogical, and absurd, and that each product is different 
and their safety should be addressed individually, just like you're saying. So when one new product comes out, you can't just say, hey, it's GMO. We know GMOs are safe. It's just like saying that any new medicine that comes to market is safe or any anything. I mean, even like cars, they test every single car to see the safety of it. It's just like this is something completely different. This is genetically modified food or. Yeah, and it's any- very much an emerging technology, right? Right. And we've had that. Yeah, oh, my gosh. I just can't believe this. <laughs> They're just like, oh, it's all safe. Yeah. I don't know what what do you mean what no this is we we've already done the research you guys don't have to worry i'm kind of winding up this episode because there's so much to go along with this um i will start on the the next four tactics that we talked about earlier in the next uh episode of the series but i just wanted to to finish on this point that basically the science that that we're relying on in the the argument of the safety of these products it's not sufficient in pretty much any way and because of of patents that these companies hold the studies on genetically engineered uh, food products are pretty much controlled by the companies that own the intellectual property rights and in a 2021 report uh, the University of Vienna studied 53 safety studies of glyphosate that were submitted to regulators, so the people making laws surrounding these chemicals. And they looked at 53 of them and said that most studies do not comply with modern international standards or scientific rigor. And that most didn't even include tests that would most accurately uh, define cancer risk. Why do regulators accept these studies and the conclusions that are made from them? That's, that's, that is insane. <laughs> How can you accept an outdated test, a test that isn't even testing for the main risks that people are concerned about? Exactly. Oh my God. And the root cause, really, when you when you look at at what I just said, the root claw, the root cause is really intellectual property rights. And I'm not a big fan of intellectual property rights for this exact reason, especially when it comes to, to things like technology and and you know chemicals especially, um, is that you don't know the harms of it until there's more data to understand. And if it's just being thrown out there with data from the people making it who stand to profit from it, how can you ever trust that data? How can you ever really understand the risks involved in it? Yeah, you just can't. You really can't. Anyways, that is all for this episode. I hope it was interesting. It was extremely interesting. I I feel like it was so in-depth, Zach. I loved it. I uh I feel like though there's still we're probably gonna be like 20, 30 years down the road and then we're gonna really get into what Monsanto and all these companies are doing just to corrupt the science, let alone all the rest of these uh tactics that you're right. gonna be going over in future episodes. Right. And and Monsanto is the only one who's really been exposed for this, right? Yeah, this there's, is all the only the stuff we know about. <laughs> and it's only from one of these companies. Um Bayer now owns Monsanto. We don't know anything about what they do with their science 
BASF, you know, those are the two Nazi companies. We don't know what they're doing with their science. <laughs> Syngenta's a giant. We don't know what they're doing with their science. Um, I mean, this is it's just like, this is an, an outstanding case study from US Right to Know. Everybody should read it, uh, of course, after you listen to the rest of my series. <laughs> uh, but, but, I mean, it, it is, it puts it together very well. And it just it makes it very streamlined, much easier to understand, um, mm-hmm. much easier to be outraged by. Because we all <laughs> should be really seriously though. I yeah I I feel fired up. I don't know. I'm gonna have to go work out or something after this. This is this is crazy. I, I mean every nook and cranny of the science. They're like, all right, we can do this to this part of the science. We can. You know, we can adjust our methods to make it look this way. We can get ghostwriters to do it this way. Every single nook and cranny. Yeah, I only had I, I only had so much time to to put all this together, right? And only so much time to talk about. It. There is even from the background that I covered to this first tactic. There's stuff that I couldn't fit in here. I mean, it's it goes so deep and it, it's so shocking. I mean, like. You, we obviously know that these companies are like not, you know, benevolent or not. I thought they're, they're borderline evil, right? I thought you were going to say uh, Nazis. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, literally some. Of them, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's it's some of the stuff you even get into. It's like you're surprised how brazen they can be, um, in all this, and how arrogant they can be about it. All right. Well, that's all for tonight. Uh, if anyone wants to read through, uh, Zach's got that, again, that report linked in the show notes. Uh, we went through tactic one, corrupting the science tonight. Uh, so just want to thank you all for listening. As always, reach out to us on our socials at poisoned for profit. Uh, send us an email. Same email as always at poison for profit at gmail.com. Uh, catch us on the gram which is poison for profit underscore. Uh, let us know what those you are all. Go ahead. Those are all the number four, by the way, <laughs> let all us know if you guys re- read through this, uh, if this through this report to, up to where we're at, no reading ahead. Uh, and what part surprised you most? That'd be interesting to hear from some of you listeners. Um, but just want to thank you all for listening. And thanks again to Zach for this, uh, start of his series i really enjoyed it so hope everyone else did too thank you i do not believe that glyphosate in argentina is causing increases in cancer you can drink a whole quart of it and it won't hurt you it's uh, it, you want to drink some we have some here i'd be happy to actually but you, not not really but not really i know it wouldn't hurt I mean, me if, if if you say so i have some glyphosate. No, no, i'm not stupid Ah, okay. So you, you, you. No, but I know so it's dangerous. I know. Right? I know people try to commit suicide no, with no, it and fail no, fairly regularly. Tell the truth. It's, it's not dangerous, dangerous to humans. No, it's no. not. So you're ready to drink one glass of? No, I'm not an idiot. I'm not an idiot. I'm not an idiot. I'm not an idiot. I'm not an idiot.